Good morning. I am Janice, a compulsive overeater from Southern California. I'd like to thank Suze, who recommended me to Layla, who asked me to share today. So when I looked at the step, um, you know, to get focused, I realized there's four parts to it. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And it was a comfort to me that now I know what to share about. And it reminded me of when I was new and it was very clear that to work this program or to have success in it, one needed a sponsor. What do I say to this virtual stranger and you know, what do I share? I had already been in another 12-step program and I shared pretty pretty intimately over the years, over many years with that sponsor. But what do I say? And that my first OA sponsor had me read either a page or a paragraph from the OA 12 and 12 each day. And if something resonated, call her up and discuss it. And that was a relief to me because I am not by nature a chatty person. So in terms of step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, that's the first part. I had a strong relationship with a higher power. I was 28 years in another fellowship before I got here. And I had in that fellowship a God box where I wrote down my problems. It's actually a jar, but we called it a box. And I constantly wrote on the paper, my weight, my weight, my weight. I would periodically empty out this container. And, you know, I I had that relationship, but it didn't help. And my journey with overeating... Mm-hmm. It pretty much started when I left home because there was a lot of financial insecurity and 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 fear of financial insecurity in my home growing up. And the way it was manifested is there wasn't extra food. There was just enough for three meals. We had no snack foods. We did have cakes for birthdays, but other than that, no, the fanciest dessert we had in our home was graham crackers. And it's funny because in the big book, it says we are not a glum lot. My family was a glum lot. You know, we just didn't party. Um, So the spiritual awakening for me in OA was I need God and the fellowship. Um because I tried it with just God and it didn't work. My, after I left home, I discovered foods that I liked and I came from a a family where they really ate healthy foods like, you know, whole grain bread. And if we had ketchup, my mother literally said, don't use too much. It has sugar in it. I mean, that kind of consciousness of, healthy eating. So I muddled along eating what I liked. um, And I reached a point 
where I started getting skin rashes that were really itchy and very disfiguring. I'd wake up in the morning with blood all over my pillowcase and my sheets. I couldn't stop scratching. And I went to a dentist who noticed the rash on my neck. And he said, you know, it could be food related. My daughter has uh, that kind of reaction when she eats eggs. So Fortunately, I found a doctor who who discerned what my problem foods were, and the list was long. And I was in so much, I mean, itching is, it's so, it's so painful. I was willing to stop eating those foods, and the weight just melted off my body, and the rashes cleared up. So... After a while, though, the weight didn't melt off my body, and I think I felt sorry for myself having to eat such a limited diet. And so with the foods that I could eat, and I'll give you an off-the-wall example. I hope it's okay to mention foods. I could eat taro chips. I couldn't eat anything with corn or potatoes, but and I would in, eat, eat massive quantities, and the weight started piling on, and my food obsession was full time. I worked um, at the time in a, a large library that had a department with literally tens of thousands of recipe books. And I would sit there going through the pages, trying to find something that I could eat, which takes a lot of research because I have such uh, a con- uh a specific food plan. And I'd be, and I would take the recipe book with me to lunch. I'd be reading the recipe book at lunch, thinking about dinner. So I was in four places. I wasn't in the present. I was thinking of the future. And that's all I thought about was food. And when my mother died, um, my husband was out of town working at the time and a friend of mine carried me through that loss. And three months after my mother died, her 25 year old son drowned and we were partners in our grief. And she is the best cook in the world. And she knew how to cook with my food plan in mind. And we just ate ourselves through that grieving Um, You know, people make thoughtful comments when you lose a loved one. And the one comment that really stood out to me was, your life will change as a result of your mother's passing. And in my tradition, there's a a year-long period of mourning. And I thought to myself, I, I don't tell God when and what to do. I said, God, I know you will reveal to me how my life is going to change. And I'm not even going to look for that change for a year. And in my other fellowship, some members of OA started attending and they were really um, entrenched in working the steps in a more intense way than I was in my other program. And one day, it was almost to the day, a year after my mother's passing, I said, I'm going to go to OA. And I did. So in terms of as a result of these steps, um, 
I, I'll give you a few examples of how they've really helped me. My sponsor, my first sponsor had me do the resentment inventory described in the big book. And one of my biggest resentments was towards my aunt. We have very few relatives, had very few relatives where I grew up. Most of them were on the East Coast. So this one family that we would see terrified me. And we'd go to their house for a holiday and we'd come home. And the next day, my aunt would call my mother and say, Janice didn't talk again last night. And my mother would say, your aunt Jessie called and said, you didn't talk again last night. And I thought I was doing something wrong. And the next time I went, I would <clears throat> try to insert myself in these heated conversations, usually about politics. I was the youngest cousin. So I was the youngest member of this part of the family. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I felt like a failure. And I hated my aunt for for. I felt like she was criticizing me, but the way the steps work, um, let me just back up a second. At one of my first meetings, one of the women from my other fellowship was there. In fact, she was a secretary. And I said, how do you work two programs? You know, I wanted an answer. And she said, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth which I guess is a play on take the cork out of the bottle with out of the jug. Anyway, that was not a helpful thing for me to hear because I tend toward not talking, but I wanted what she had. And so I didn't share at for months at my OA meetings. And then this very talkative woman who had less time than me led a meeting one day. And I thought, wait a minute, this isn't right. And I I shared with someone and she encouraged me. I, I started sharing. But what is underlying this is I felt like I was a burden to my mother. And in a way, I learned that by calling a sponsor, it helps the sponsor stay abstinent. And so I am not a burden. I'm actually a help by calling a sponsor. So in terms of um, the steps and my not speaking, I read a lot and I came across a term in, a, in some novel I was reading called, um, oh, I always blank out on it. Um, it's a psychological term, selective mutism. And I read that and I looked it up and I thought, I think I had that as a child. I knew how to talk, but I was so frightened I didn't talk. And I tried to talk and I couldn't. So when I discovered that, I realized my aunt was not criticizing me. She was concerned about me and cared enough to do the right thing and call the mother and say, your daughter didn't talk again last night. So what a relief to realize that I was cared for. And when I was a child, that 
psychological condition had not yet been identified. So no one knew about it and there was no help for me. Um, Moving on with the 12th step. 12th step. We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters. I have had, uh, I like the fact that it says we tried. It doesn't say we succeed. (laughs) I have had very little success outside the rooms. Um, It usually is with coworkers, you know, where we're like one person. I've, I've been absent for 14 years. So people I meet now, they don't know what I used to weigh. And so they look at me, and when I try and share about it, they say, you don't need it. What are you in that for? It doesn't, they can't relate, basically. My husband, when he came back from that travel, that working out out of state, at one point after I joined OA, he wanted what I had because I did lose a lot of weight. And he joined OA, and he had success in it, but... It was during a recession, and when his work picked up, he went out. And recently, he got diagnosed as diabetic, and he got committed to eating differently and exercising, and he's not doing it through OA. And he's doing beautifully. Um, In terms of carrying this message to compulsive overeaters, it's mostly through um, sponsoring that I do it. And what an adventure. Um, you know, I death has an impact on my eating. Guess what? And my dear brother died unexpectedly. And right, and right at that time, this woman asked me to be her step sponsor. And because of our work schedules, we figured out that the best time for us to talk was at nine o'clock every night. She called me seven days a week at nine o'clock at night. And she ended up not working the steps. She was trying to um, change her food plan. And so nine o'clock every night, it was like a food drunkalog listening to what she ate. Was it right? It was awful. And then she disappeared. And I realized it got me through the first month of my brother's death. Because nighttime eating, no, I was listening to her on the phone. Um, Other carrying the message to um, compulsive overeaters. You know, I have been in 12 steps for over 40 years and I've sponsored a variety of people over the years. I have an OA sponsee right now who reminds me so much of myself. It is mind boggling. And the challenge is just because she has the same character defects as me, the same fears as me, the same fear of talking as me, her recovery is not going to be the same as me. It That's one thing ha- 15 minutes. Sorry. Thank you. One thing has nothing to do with the other. So my my challenge there is to let her be, let her find her um path. Practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Um, I had a job up until a few months ago that I loved for seven years and the last year I hated it. And I was thinking about it. it. I was so traumatized at this job that I stopped speaking again. I went to work. I avoided my boss and her best friend whom she brought in. And um, I, I was, I wasn't talking. And what I've learned also through the steps is when I, you know, in the OA 12 and 12 in this chapter on the step six, it said, what is a character character defect doing for you, to you? How has it outlived its usefulness? And there's a fourth one I can't remember at the moment. But what I looked at is how, what does, what do I get by not talking? Well, I don't get, I don't get called out because nobody knows what I'm thinking. I don't get criticized, but I also don't get heard. And in this job, I, these people frightened me and I stopped talking and I'm now in this wonderful new job. And I realized being in the OA fellowship where we are kind to one another, we're kind to people of all sizes and weights and society is not. And in this atmosphere of kindness, I got used to that and I wanted it for my work life and I have it in my new job. So I've been there um, about three months and I'm starting to have conflict with my boss. Two minutes. Thank you. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And in terms of a spiritual awakening, I was talking to my sponsor yesterday and I thought, if I can step back from these discussions and look at it from a distance, we are actually having healthy communication. We we do things differently. I was trained by someone else for the last eight years and we have difference of opinions. And here was a tricky one. I needed to do something this week and he said to me, why didn't you tell me about this earlier in the day? Well, the reason why I didn't tell him about it in the earlier in the day is he was working in a public area and I don't do well talking about scary things in a public area. I need it to be in a quiet area. So I was waiting for that. But then he went on a two hour lunch break and we get a half hour lunch break. And I said to him, I didn't tell you earlier because I was waiting for you to get off the whatever so I could talk to you and you were gone. Me pointing that out to a boss and I, you know, I thought I would die telling the truth, but it's healthy communication. And I'm in a, thankfully I'm in a place where I can practice this principle in all my affairs. Also, in terms of, uh, I'll just finish by saying, one of the principles is to do service. And in my, it was, as I was waiting to leave that horrible job, 
I went, I had to say to myself, I'm here to be of service. I'm not here to resolve the conflicts of my childhood or mother issues. <laughs> I'm here to be of service. And it made it, it made it doable. And also I would always say the serenity prayer before I opened the door at work because we had a really cumbersome lock on the door and it gave me time. Is that time? Thank you for letting me share. <laughs>